0: Welcome to another episode of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Our special guest this week is David Buxton. Hey David, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience?
1: Hi, Kevin, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan. Um, my name is David, I am a tech entrepreneur based in London, England. I get energy from creating new things, and unfortunately, my carpentry is not all that, so um, I'm afraid it's the software consumers of this world who have to live with my output.
0: Well, it's a real delight to have you join us. Um, I know you have some tools we don't know about, so that's always a a real joy. So, um, David, what's um, one of your favorite tools these days?
1: So the first tool, which I'm going to just quickly share my screen um, so you can see, is one called Workflowy. Everyone has a um, their favorite task management or ta- sort of get things done type app, um, in my experience. I certainly went through about 20 of them before I finally settled on this, which I think is kind of the holy grail of personal information manager. That used to be a category back in the day of Lotus Notes. Um, What it is basically is um, a single hierarchical kind of bullet point list, which you can filter and search and manipulate in order to merge together all the things you have to do in both your personal life and your sort of work life. And you can actually really bring everything together in in one place. So I'm just showing at the moment the kind of the, the basic interface. You can see today that what I've got highlighted is the tasks that I've hashtagged with today, Um, you know, so it's it's things that I want to actually work on this day. One of them is to actually prepare for this podcast. so it, the cool thing that you have here is you've got the ability to actually drill into any um, bullet point and go as far down the rabbit hole as you want to. So I can click on an individual thing and I can see sort of a full document under there. I could carry on going and going and going um, however far I wanted. But I can also zoom straight out to another level of visibility by just clicking on the shortcuts that I see down the left hand side, which are basically like hashtags of that represent kind of different categories, um, different classifications for my personal get things done methodology. And so I store everything in here from what I'm working on to things I need to work on for my business through to things I need to talk about with my wife through to like shopping lists that I
0: want to keep. um, So so it looks like this is a web-based app. That-
1: yeah, it synchronizes excellently with uh my phone as well, so you can sort of whenever I'm whenever someone tells me something I just like dump it in um and I sort of sift through it periodically to make sure that um you know I don't need to remember things. I find like one real source of anxiety is just, you know, trying to keep track of what I'm trying to keep track of, you know.
0: Okay. Um um and and um does it, it but it does not have like a calendar um interface which which Many do. So, so what are the advantages and disadvantages of that?
1: You, you can tag things with date. I personally found that calendars that you tend to sort of like, what's the thing that Douglas Adams said? Like, I like deadlines. I like the whooshing sound they make as they go by. You know, mm-hmm. I sort of end up with all these tasks that I said I would do a week ago still in my rear view mirror. Um, and I actually just personally found that unhelpful. So I think for people that are happy with their methodology, um, you know, I don't know if there's a way of like convincing them to try something and it might be actively harmful to try. Um, but, you know, if you're like me and you're still, you still consider yourself to be like, on that hunt for something that really um, sort of jives with your brain and helps you organize uh, all of the different things that sort of pile into your life from different directions, work, personal, and keep them under control. You know, I've just found this to be a weirdly successful product, um, you know, really, really, really effective.
0: And and the the general structure of it seems to be like an outliner where you have a high-level thing which you can open up or expand into all the subcategories which you can then expand into the others. Is that the general architecture? Yeah,
1: that's exactly it. So down here on the left-hand side, I've got four categories which are the kind of like top-level bullet points. And so I've got an inbox of things that, um, you know, that's where I write down new new stuff that needs categorization. I've got projects which are different things I'm working on, you know, anything from like different startup ideas through to like looking for a nanny, um, I've got stuff that's from my personal life and I've got like a kind of archive of stuff that I haven't, I don't really think is super useful, but might be something I want to come back to. And then any of this stuff can be sort of expanded infinitely. There's all sorts of advanced features. Like you can move things around from place to place. But I think the reason I love it is like, I always found with other, um, interfaces that I was having to think about whether or not this should be in the system in the first place or not. Like I, I didn't have that kind of one ring to rule them all quality. Um, And I've just found it super effective to have, you know, the today tab, like stuff that's hashtagged for me to complete today as the sort of like default on my home screen. And I've also found it really useful to have to manually change things and update them. So rather than it being like, I'm scheduling this for Tuesday and then it suddenly shows up in my Tuesday box for me to actively have to go through and say like, what are the things I want to finish today having completed? You know, I think that's like a really useful active choice to make.
0: And and the things that you had that you were going to do today that you don't do, then you need to drag into the next day
1: well sometimes i'm just like oh this isn't as big a priority as i think so i just say let's like do it tomorrow and then the next morning my process is to wake up to go through all of the things that are tagged right. as either tomorrow or this week um or sometimes even next week and to just like filter through those things and say like first of all does it even need to be done secondly right. maybe are those things that are as urgent as i think they are etc so i might sort of put them into an box, where i might say actually yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna bite this off today
0: and um when you tag something, does that have any meaning? Is it just some text or does it, is it semantic? In there's no,
1: yeah, no, it's just completely defined by me. I've just set this up as my own personal sort of hierarchy, but it's completely flexible and you can do whatever you want with it.
0: Right. So, so if you tag yeah. something today or tomorrow, it doesn't. Registered, it uh, doesn't know no, that it's today or tomorrow.
1: No, I could, you can say, for example, if you said, um, what's today's date, you could say 20 September, um, just typing in 20 September and it interprets that as a date. And then it can, it will actually like give a sort of calendar like quality to that. Mm-hmm. I think they've, um, someone was thinking about introducing, you know, they've got various things like Kanban as well in here. I think people have asked them for calendars, but like, honestly, I I think that they should just like carry on keeping it simple. I've, I've personally always found like calendars just make it more confusing rather than uh, more helpful. But it's, uh, you know, everyone's got to make their own individual choices
0: about this stuff. And I, I know that there have been many to-do apps over time. And how how does this compare? To, I mean, it seems... Well, superficially, because I haven't used them, similar to other to-do apps.
1: I I think it's super super similar to lots of things. Um, the one the ones that's most similar to to my mind that are like explicitly to-do apps are things like I think is it OmniGraphle or something? You know, there's like there's sort of quite complicated on like Outliner type and to-do type apps. I've either found always that I, the mobile app isn't good enough or simple enough for me to like just get it out whenever someone mentions a podcast or mentions a resource I should read or a person I should look at hiring or speak to or something. Or it's uh, just too complicated for me to actually understand how I'd apply it for real life. Sure. Um, so I, I've just been really satisfied with the usability of this. Right. And yeah, it's it's the only thing that's stuck. I mean, you know, right. there's nothing else I would use, much less recommend to an audience of sure. other people.
0: So so let's say a hypothetical, someone mentions a book that, that they recommend that you read. No. How would you go about it in your system? What would you do? You open up your phone, and then what? So I
1: would, yeah, I'd open up, normally it's my phone, but I might go to my inbox. And then I would say, here's, you know, um, great book from Kevin. He's
0: added at the top of your inbox. Yeah. Okay, and then... And I might
1: tag it, if it was urgent and I needed to look at it, I might say, you know, today. And then that will then show up as my sort of default browser tab. When I open a new tab, this is set to be my, like, the today view is set to be my, like, default view to keep me.
0: Yeah, you you put a tag on today, which you can then sort for via the tags today. Um, But if it wasn't today, would you put another tag on it, like,
1: Normally, not normally. I just go through my inbox. Like, in fact, as you could see from just there, I had a lot of irrelevant stuff in there that I haven't like sort of sifted through yet. But I think that you know, if you if you follow one of these get things done methodologies, I'm by no means the sort of best evangelist for them. Uh You know, I'm kind of lazy like most of us. But I do, you know, one of the sort of key things is to dump stuff into a place that gets sort of periodically sifted through, um, rather than sort of make assignments a priority immediately when you when you have new stuff
0: come in. All right and so just following through your own system and using this let's say you have your inbox and it says uh, a great book that you have been recommended then you either need to act on it then or then you do you file it away somewhere if, if you have well, a later
1: normally what i would actually do is i would like go through that sort of inbox thing and then rather than saying great book today i would say like you know buy great book from amazon or whatever so right, right. you know part of the art i think of making uh any sort of like gtd type system get things done type system is actually taking you know sometimes like kind of inchoate um uh you know fragments and turning them into uh something closer to easily digestible or like relatively mechanical activities like it's one thing to like there's a book. Great. You know, a bit like, what do I want to do? Do I want to buy it from Amazon? Do I want to read it? Do I want to like flick through the first chapter and decide whether, you know, so just trying to like kind of focus on what you're trying to get out of each of each of these sort of pieces of information. Um, but that kind of starts to get into, you know, how, how you use the tool, uh, right, rather right, right. than, you know, what is it? But yeah, I think that's, it's a great tool for that stuff in my right. opinion.
0: And, and then going back then to, to this, this is a, a, a web based, but is the on your phone, is it actually a dedicated app?
1: Yeah, it's a dedicated app. It syncs like really amazingly with your um, uh, with the online version. So I will try and pull up. Um, you know, I've just literally opened the app, and uh, you might be able to see. You're They're
0: showing like, your phone. I'm showing
1: my screen yeah. and it's got a mirror of exactly that. So without me having to do anything or manually synchronize or like, you know how you sometimes right. like a pulling down on your phone to see if right. you can like get the most recent version. So it, it feels like it's, um, it's always there, which right. I think is, is what something like that has to be.
0: Right. Yeah. It's a little bit like notes, but a little bit more structured than notes.
1: I find with notes, the problem is like, just you have to decide what level of hierarchy you're working at. And I always get kind of caught up in like almost that sort of process of like, oh, should this be a heading or should this be formatted? Or like, maybe I want to write this as a long form paragraph, right? Whereas this is just like, everything's a bullet point and you really don't have any choice. So you better like just focus on the content rather than like worry about how you're formatting stuff.
0: Okay, good, good enough. Thank you for that. Workflowy. And is it, um, I assume it's for both, Android and iPhone? It's uh, definitely for iPhone.
1: I actually don't know about Android. Um, I should have checked beforehand. Um, okay. But definitely for definitely for iPhone. Great iPhone
0: app. And do you recall what it costs? Is it?
1: It's 50 bucks a year. And uh, like, I am super skinful in general. I, I really, really resent paying for most apps, I would say. Um, and I pay that with so much happiness. You know, <laughs> it's one of the very few that I, you know, you, you, you really, that, that's sort the of real measure. is like the level of happiness that
0: you have when you get asked to renew your credit card details or whatever. <laughs> yes, that's, that's a really good, um, uh, good criteria. Um, so, okay. So, so work flow-y. um, that's a really great one. So, um, so David, what's another, um, cool tool of, of yours. So
1: my next cool tool is, um, one of our many bicycles, one of our many e-bikes, E-bikes are obviously a massively growing category, but what we have is we we live in relatively central, but not like right in the middle of London. Um, We don't own a car. We've got two little kids, one's four, one's six, like they can actually ride bikes, but we get everywhere using um, a combination of their bikes and an electric cargo bike. Um, And the specific kinds we have, we actually have a couple, but one of them is a turn Um, GSD um, which is I don't know what it stands for I'm not sure if it's get shit done but it might well be Um, it certainly feels that way Uh, and basically what it is is it's a normal bike it's actually exactly as long as a normal like road you know sort of road bike 185 ish centimetres I think if memory serves uh, from sort of like wheel tip to wheel tip And it rather than being one of those bucket bikes where you have a sort of big like trough on the front, big bucket on the front, it's a long tail one, which basically has a sort of long bench rear carrier thing. And it has loads of different accessories that admittedly cost a lot of money that you can buy to basically seat children from like zero through to about, mm, well, I guess if you just have one of them, you could probably get like an adult, well, easily get an adult on the back, but through, you know, you could probably get two children of eight on the back, I would say. Um, And certainly for us, we just find this is the most remarkable innovation because it means that we can make a journey that, you know, in very good traffic would be 15 minutes into an eight minute bike ride. Um, We don't have the hassle um, of owning a car. My wife actually doesn't drive. Um, And we, you know, get to be outdoors and, um, you know, but efficient. And I guess, although this isn't our primary motivation, like somewhat green. So. Yeah, I, this specific model that I've I've given this turn is just one of the many ones out there. There's models by Rad Power, there's an Italian company called Bici Capace, tons of them that make them. But, you know, if you've got little kids and you live somewhere that's like relatively bikeable um, and you have somewhere where you think it won't instantly get stolen, that you can store this thing. Like, I think you you should definitely buy one if you can afford it. Right. They are expensive, though, several thousand dollars at least.
0: Sure. Um, what about the 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 weight? I mean, w- w- th- th- that's um, one of the issues with big cargo bikes, especially e versions, which is that you're not going to really lift them very easily. Like if you have to go upstairs, or I mean, you you have to be able to store this at ground level, right? What yeah, one
1: thousand percent? I mean, I'm six foot four and two hundred twenty pounds, and like I cannot physically lift the whole thing off the ground except in like an actual emergency, you know? So it's, um, we have a, we have a place we can store, uh, you know, sort of street level. Um, it is possible to buy, um, really good locks. It is possible to buy really good insurance, but, um, you know, they're valuable things. And so if you don't have somewhere that's like at least relatively protected, then you want to think twice before like exposing yourself to like day to day stress of just like walking out the door and it not being there. That said, in our neighborhood, like, it's regularly, regularly, regularly the case that you have car thieves that go around and they'll, like, just go through your car and find anything and just, like, they, uh-huh. you know, they don't even steal it anymore. They just, like, steal the stuff in it. So, unfortunately, uh, you know, um, even cars don't make you totally safe from that. So, here, here's a kind of, um, here, here's what it looks like. It's a, it's a yellow bike with this one in the picture here. Got a long tail. You can attach a sort of kiddie bike seat or two right. kiddie bike seats to the back. You can also put front panniers on it. Uh, you can put a front basket on it. Um, mm-hmm. You can adjust the, both the stem and the seat to suit different riders. So it's really easy for me, both me and my wife, who's like right. a foot shorter than me, to ride it without like messing around too much.
0: Um it's step through, so easy to get on.
1: It's step through, so easy to get on. Um, the battery, I mean, it, you know, you can get – Depending on how far you ride, obviously you can get certainly a couple of days or a week of uh, riding out of it. it. Just charges from a you know normal wall outlet. Uh-huh. Um, you know they're, they're great. They're great things, um, and um, you know we see more and more and more of them here in London, and I suspect the same is true of uh, many of your listeners elsewhere in the world. But it's a it's a fun thing to buy.
0: Yeah, and um, just if we can, do you happen to know what the actual? price is you say several thousands was it like uh, so
1: i looked up the price in in from a shop in new york and here's a kind of random new york retailer they go for anything between about um this one this GST s10 i've got listed on this website for oh, between five thousand and five and a half thousand dollars they have more expensive models that go all the way up to like ten thousand dollars but for that you're buying like a lot of random gubbins that you may or may not need um But what I would say as well is you probably do need to spend another let's call it thousand dollars on the various sort of things that you would need to sort of securely attach children, depending on how old they are. Um, You know, so they're very sort of pads and accessories and things like that. It's a bit painful once you get into the the whole sort of accessory buying um, thing. The there are cheap ones. The cheapest one that I think is renowned to be good quality is the Rad Power, the Rad Wagon or something. I think it's called. Yeah. Um, And that is a uh you know meaningfully cheaper thing, so here it's thirteen hundred pounds, so you know whatever eighteen hundred sixteen hundred dollars that sort of thing
0: yeah so they mm-hmm. they said that the turn was a folding bike uh. No.
1: So Turn is, I think, a Taiwanese company that makes a variety of relatively high-end bikes. So they make some non-electric folding ones. They also might even make an electric folding one. But the specific models that um, uh, I'm talking about, the stem does fold. So you can actually do some, you can sort of make it a bit smaller um but i actually think that's kind of a useless feature because like the real problem is it's super heavy so it doesn't matter how small it is like you still can't drag it up your stairs to your apartment i mean you know not unless you're he-man um so uh yeah okay the the, the other one is rad power wagon which is a bit of a simpler thing and a bit lower maybe a bit lower quality in some cases but you know honestly you know pays the
0: money takes choice right okay well that's um a great suggestion I, i mean i think you're Dual tools dig- suggestion is an electric cargo bike of some sort as an alternative to a car. I mean, for sure, yeah. So, David, what's um, what's one of your third choices in um, for a cool tool?
1: So, my third choice is super geeky. So, we can either you know not go down this rabbit hole, or, or we can. But I've been working a lot with. Um, generative AI recently. Okay. And so my third tool suggestion is a a I guess you would call it like an AI wrapper. So it's a it's a library, a Python library called Langchain. Um, it has a JavaScript version as well. So sort of a parallel JavaScript implementation. And really what it's designed to do is to serve as a abstraction layer um, to make it easy to create applications or tools that use generative AI. Uh, So um, APIs from companies like OpenAI, which is probably the best known with ChatGPT. Microsoft, who also sell basically a version of ChatGPT through Azure. Google has BARD. And there's like a ton of open source models, right? They're the sort of things that like generate text for you, right right. an acrostic about cool tools or something, right? Um, And so the reason I'm recommending it is because i think there's probably a lot of people who are uh, really curious about this area but sort of don't know where to get started um i think you do need a little bit of programming maybe like computer it comfort rather than necessarily like programming ability because increasingly you can do a lot of this sort of almost like engineering in the in the natural language of the prompts themselves right but in order to consume the prompts programmatically in order to sort of interface with the apis as opposed to typing stuff into chat gpt you've got a you've got to write code on some level and LangChain gives you pretty good convenient abstractions um, for you to to actually write you know kind of powerful things without doing a ton of uh you know unnecessary legwork so it both enables you to really easily talk to the APIs themselves. That's not super difficult, but it also gives you a lot of stuff around the edges that um, allow you to do things that you'll almost certainly want to do as part of building a real tool. So, for example, it gives you stuff to extract information from PDF files, right? So, you know, if you want to build something which I don't know, reads PDFs in your in a directory and answers questions on them using ChatGPT, you're going to need to, like, suck information out. And a lot of people, when they're trying to build something for real, what happens is they they get stuck on like, oh, God, it's actually like a huge pain to suck all this, you know, how do I parse this PDF format kind of thing? And so I found it, you know, we found it really useful for that. And I think the documentation is really excellent. It gives tons of examples which you can copy and paste. So, you know, basically, if you can get a working Python environment up on your machine um, or JavaScript, um, I think you should be able to experiment with something that actually like does something real, um, and I think that's super fun because ultimately this is one of the sort of bedrock, foundational tools. Mm-hmm. I think that we're going to be using for you know the the coming decades.
0: So um, a lot of there are a lot of programming tools that that aren't just um, giving you. I mean, th- this is a tool that gives you access to to AI, but there's a lot of pr- tools that use AI, like Copilot, to help you program. So does this tool also employ AI to assist you in doing the the scripting
1: no it's a great question it's it's more of a layer on top of of doing that right. so the way I would look at it is more like this is, these are some recipes it's more like it's more like a cookbook um, and you know some handy utensils mm-hmm. shall we say for yourself like creating um, some you know they can be yeah. as basic or as complicated as you want uh, right. tools of your own. Um, And so I think it's the people who I think should, you know, set aside a weekend or, you know, PTO day or something to playing with this are people who, you know, sort of they've kind of played with the chat GPT web interface. They sort of see that you can get it to adopt different personalities and to reframe information and to summarize things that you copy and paste in or to like, they've played with prompts and they sort of understand there's like a lot of interesting things out there, but what they really want to do is they want to, chain together i mean i think that's really where partly where the chain comes from right they want to chain together different prompts in order to you know for instance like um, one prompt might be in charge of doing one thing. You know, you might say, um, "I want you to read these Google search results and tell me like which one is the best," for instance. And then you might have another prompt which says, "I want you to read this web page and summarize it." Right. And so, you, what you want to do in order to, you know, you to provide an answer to a question rather than a web query in a very naive way, right? right. You might say, "Cool, let's like run those two things in sequence. Let's get the AI model to pick the right, right. web result, and then let's like summarize that web result and give me the Answer. So, so that's a super basic example, but it's something that you can't easily achieve. I mean, right, there right, are right. these things in ChatGPT called plugins, but like basically, if you want to do complex workflows or moderately complex workflows, like yeah. you've got to you gotta do it that way.
0: Right. I think every one of the uh, well, um, I have a friend who's who's a doctor who's had a website for f- 30 years, uh, people asking him questions and him giving answers. If he wanted to make an AI version of that, of ask, ask me anything, basically taking all that content and feeding it in and training in some senses or refining. Maybe it's the word they use. Um, that would this, this tool. Um, LangChain would be ideal for trying to set that up.
1: I think it would be a great place certainly to prototype it, right? To sort of work out, is there something there? Like, can can you deliver a kind of acceptable user experience? And and you can carry on building applications all the way through to production, right? For my current project, I'm using that all the way through to, like, you know, an end user experience in a kind of business, B2B SaaS, right? A business-to-business mm-hmm. tool, right? Um, but, you know, all of these companies, they all have APIs, and it can become just, like, completely overwhelming. And so I think what this allows you to do is just push your, push down enough of the implementation details and the differences between the different uh systems that you could be using um to sort of like it, convince yourself that this is an area that's worth making an investment right. in and so that I think is a gateway drug kind of basically
0: yeah yeah um one could kind of imagine maybe in a year now is is people would have a commercial commercially customized consumer app doing doing this um,
1: there there are attempts there I will um, there's one that I've seen that I've momentarily forgotten what's called but I'll, I'll f- see if I can find it so you can put it in the show notes um that's like a hosted version of this um the ecosystem is still quite immature I mean like ChatGPT only came out I think in November last year um you know so even though there's a lot of hype around it there's it takes time for people to build products which are sufficiently robust to go to um End users, And so to the extent that we're still waiting for like, you know, consumer friendly versions of this sort of thing, yeah. I think this is the closest to that, that okay. I can imagine. So if you're like a product manager and you can just about like copy and paste some Python code and get it running, I think that's the level of skill you need in order to get like really useful results out of this. Great. But you definitely, if you don't even know what Python is, then yeah, not, not your thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's fair warning. Okay. So, um, so David, um, in your toolbox, what's what's your fourth um pick for uh, us today?
1: So my fourth tool is I often joke that this is the item that uh after I saved my children from a house fire, I would like <laughs> run back into the house Okay. That's a, I, that's a great that's a great My wife can make her own right way out, right? For the for the record. <laughs> um it's uh, it's what's called a line a day diary. Um and I'm holding A of line account. a day, you say? A line a day diary. A
0: line a day diary, okay.
1: It's an A5, or similar, anyway, book. Um, And the thing that's special about it, it looks, this one is made by Lecterm, Lookterm, I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, So it's like a, you know, like a moleskin type form factor, right? right? It's, uh, the thing that's special about it is that um, inside the pages are printed um, with sort of, it's difficult to see, because I've written on so much of it, but they're printed kind of um, with sort of five, years basically for each page and so each page corresponds to one calendar day so page one is January the 1st and the last page is December 31st in the diary if you go from the front to the back of the diary Um, but each page has on it five different years and basically as what you do is every day you write a small entry in your journal and then at the end of the year you turn back to the beginning and you start filling in the next line and um as those of you who uh had access thing could see i I mean i've now been writing this for four years um and i've written an entry on almost every single day and i think there's two amazing things about the uh the form factor um one is just like journaling in a really uh, confined space like means that you're just like way more likely to actually do it um, in my experience anyway maybe there's people who are writing A4 sheets every single day but like you know I don't know them um, and but the you, you're
0: only required bit, to write you, you say one line so, so to just one sentence is sort of the minimum and you probably write two as- or three
1: uh, yeah. And I would say normally I probably actually write more than I would, more than I wanted to. And mo- maybe more than I started off writing, I m- maybe write 100 words a day. Right. Um, so that's my kind of like daily daily routine just before I go to bed. So I love that form factor of being forced to sort of condense things, almost like forced to put it into a tweet. I mean, right. now all the tweets are getting bigger and bigger these days. So who knows what we're um, ending up with there. And then the other thing which is really remarkable is because you're um, seeing above your current entry, the previous year's entry, you get this like very emotional and very like richly textured sort of understanding of time that like, I think there's very few things in our lives that make us do this, right? Um, And so I was just, you know, I was just looking at this to make sure there wasn't anything particularly compromising on this page, just in case someone sort of like goes through it, you know, and applies CIA image analysis to it. and you know uh, 2 years ago was uh, like the day i quit my previous job after i sold oh, my previous company and uh you know that it doesn't have any emotional connection except to me but it's um it's the sort of thing i would like never ever think about probably again right. uh yeah. you know if i if i wasn't doing this and i just i think it's a really great therapeutic activity well therapeutic is maybe too strong but I think it's a very meaningful activity for me. And I think it uh, helps me with, you know, what you might, if you were being very pretentious, call like a gratitude practice, um, as well as just like general reflection.
0: Right. When you were writing after four years, say, if you have a couple of years ahead of you and you're writing, do you, are you writing in sometimes in response to what you're reading from the previous years or do you kind of try and write first and then look at what you've um, written before?
1: I think every person has to like, find their own um, journey. Uh, I often just write, like for today, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, but I, you know, there's two sort of different interaction modalities, right? One is when you're kind of writing, and you're responding more like reading around it. And sometimes you just like flick through, and you're just like, you know, reading old entries and seeing also like, when, when you have young kids, like the each year is like, very different from the last, but in ways that you never really were—you weren't paying attention to at the time. Um, so, I mean, I think this is something that anyone would get value from or would get pleasure from. But I think particularly when you have young children, right. uh, the moments are almost impossible to capture, and you sort of try to take as many photos as you can. But yeah. for some reason, I—you I, know—we just all have too many photos in our eyes. this is the best.
0: Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what kind of effect it has when you have to turn over to a new book after five years.
1: I'm kind of terrified about it. Although I will be, (laughs) I I wouldn't say I'm like a massive completionist type person, but I I'm quite looking forward to like actually getting to the, getting to the end of this book. Um, Yeah. I'm, I tried to, well, I tried to, I got halfway through creating a sort of electronic version of this. And Uh for various reasons, I um, never like properly put it live, but I think one one thing about the physical world, which I think is so great, and I think your, I think this show, you know, Cool Tools really, I think, helps us all reflect on periodically, is how I do think there's a special place for physical objects in shaping our understanding of time and of space. And like, rather than forcing everything to conform to, you know, being on a, you know, 4.9-inch right. um, OLED screen, you know, to sort of say to let something else like create your kind of uh, conceptual framework is right, right. it, it's, it's quite, it's quite, yeah, it's good.
0: And, and and you could certainly these days digitize it um, if your handwriting is at all legible, which by the way, my problem is I literally cannot read my own handwriting the next day. Um, it's, it's I mean, it's degraded to such an extent that is illegible to me, myself, the next day? Uh, I mean, my daughter is
1: sex and her handwriting is meaningfully better than mine. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, I do live in fear. I mean, as I said, it's like one of the few things I would really like try to save. I live in fear when I'm traveling. I take it with me. I live in fear I'm going to leave yeah. on a train or something. I mean, I've written in the front, like, you know, send it back to me. I'll give you hundred pounds, like no questions asked kind of yeah. thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, so you've done, I've done what I can to try and protect it against that sort of risk. But yeah. Um, I I I worry about losing it. It would be it would be a well. Treat. You certainly
0: should scan it and and have yeah. it backed up. Um, for, sure. for sure. Um, and and OCR, you know, these days is pretty good. You could train train it on your bad handwriting. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing.
1: I the the level of the state of the art in these areas has really improved yeah. so much right. know, with the revolution.
0: Well, this has been uh, it's a great suggestion. So. There may be more than one version of these kinds of books, five-year diaries and et cetera.
1: You can find like a million of them on yeah. Amazon. If you Google Line-A-Day Diary uh, or if you search on Amazon for line of day Diary, I really like this um uh lectern one uh, because i love having a proper size book so as i say a kind of a five form factor as opposed to a lot of them are that kind of slightly sort of skinnier one that's almost like a an address book type yeah. I, I don't know what the right thing is you know kind of right. they're like vertically narrower and i find that that while that might be truly one line a day like i actually find that's just like too small right. for me it's like uncomfortable for my hand to like write on i don't take pleasure in the writing when it's that right. small
0: um I think they're also called sometimes called five year diaries as well
1: Just- maybe i yeah that that's that's probably true um yes, uh yeah, and I'd really encourage people to do that
0: yeah so so David, um we have a few minutes. can you share with us anything that you are working on or um that you want to share with our audience? Do you have anything to add? Um, I guess my most
1: interesting current project is that um, after selling my previous company, I am starting work on a new startup. So I'm working on a project called Harriet, And uh, what we're trying to create is an AI-powered HR assistant that takes away all of the drudgery from your team um, and basically uh, abstracts away all of the kind of constellation of different HR systems that live in the background and make many employees lives, uh, you know, quite burdensome and boring, you know, so our thesis is that one of the consequences of AI is that in the future, uh, not just, you know, Goldman Sachs corner office bankers, right, but everyone will have an assistant that helps them do all of the administrative tasks that are necessary for the company to carry on running, but like not actually helpful to any employee or to any customer of the company, you know, so goodbye to expenses and pay slips and holiday booking and knowledge management. Um, You know, all that stuff I think is, is going to get subsumed into what we think into a personality that is, um, it's able to work out what the, what someone wants and to connect them to the right data source and the right information that they need to actually kind of just like get on with the with their lives so that's really fun you know we're working with the, the LangChain tool that i showed that was you know kind of how i got hooked so i thought it was worth sharing that as a gateway drug um i just think uh, there's tons and tons of opportunity in this space um but the models are not omnipotent Um, And they're not omniscient. And so there's a lot of fun problems to solve there as well when you're trying to build like real end user interactions um, and um, uh, create a great user experience. So um, I thought I'd tell the audience about that because I think that um, those challenges are probably pretty common to people who are working in in similar areas. You know, whether or not you started off as an AI company, I think everyone's going to have to be an AI company in the next five, 10 years kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that has been long. My prediction was um, take X and add AI and that's uh, your future business.
1: Uh, I, th- I think it's going to be interesting. And uh, what we're trying to do is a little bit different, right? We're trying to say, well, actually, if you just added AI, people would still be confused, like where their slip lived, right? Because they only need it once a quarter or whatever when they buy a house or, you know, like um, different situations. So as much as anything, what you're gonna need is you're gonna need someone who like helps you navigate all those different resources uh, because most companies uh, are not terribly well-organized. You know, They kind of accrete different systems over time, et cetera. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I look forward to it. They'd be really great. Um, I, yeah, I think we'll have, the question is gonna be whether we're gonna have one assistant who's really, really good or with, or we have to manage 10 different assistants. And, and and that's I think nobody can answer that question right now. Uh, it's sort of like you know how many apps do you want on your phone, or even for how many phones do you want, right? Or how many how many devices do you want in your pocket? Do you want just one, or do you want multiple ones? Um, we don't know the answer right now.
1: Well, I, I I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head because um, one of the biggest challenges for AI is trying to. The models are so powerful that it's very difficult from an end user point of view to work out like what I should be doing with them. There's always like a choice process thing of like, right, you can give me like dating advice and you can uh, educate me on nuclear physics. And you can also like tell me, you know, information about, I don't know, the Mariana Trench or something like what should I use you for? And so I think what we're trying to do with Harriet, which is the project I'm working on, um, is find a way of uh, sort of grouping together enough coherent skills right, and enough right. coherent activities in one place that end users can have an intuitive understanding of what the yeah. tool is and is not capable of. And I'm sure there will be other things in different areas that yeah. you do similar things. But it's it, there's a big user experience in the broadest sense of the, right, of right. the um, phrase challenge there to I make know, it sort
0: I don't think it's impossible to imagine that you have the, the Uber assistant who deals with Harriet and Tony and, and Roger (laughs) and they, and they come back and says, well, Harriet says this. And, um, you know, so. I mean, I, yeah,
1: I think that's a, um, extremely astute point. And I think that it's hard to predict exactly like where we're, where we're going to end up. But I think from a, End user experience point of view, we believe that there's a very big chance that you as an employee will not be forced to spend yeah. half of your like new employee induction uh right. on you know how to book a holiday kind of thing. Right. And then which you instantly forget, by the way. And right. so well,
0: Yeah. And 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 I think just thinking it, you know, speculating here, taking a moment of fantasy, I think one of the things we're gonna come down to is um who owns your assistant or who, who basically who does your assistant work for? And yeah. so like the company could be offering the HR assistant to all employees that would mm-hmm. just, but maybe you actually want to have your own assistant deal with that. And so there'll be, there's going to be a little bit of a, of a conflict or a tussle between um, you know, it's just like, when you're writing your 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 journal, it's like you could probably find somewhere that's hosted. it's like Twitter is kind of the version of it, but Twitter kind of controls yeah, and they could take it away and so you kind of well i you want to you want to really control that and so this locus of who owns the agent I think is going to be a bit of um I think there'll be a little tussle about that in the future.
1: Super interesting. I actually hadn't really thought about it at that term, but I, that's definitely a situation in which I can say, I can imagine, you know, your kind of outcome happening where it's like, well, actually, Nick here, who's my assistant is going to deal with like, yeah. the company's, you know, sort of backend systems. And obviously the integrations between like whatever different payroll systems and stuff, like only Harriet plugged into those things, but Nick can just use her as a gateway to like yeah, get into right, all those yeah. different things and, you know, manage my whatever benefits or whatever i want to do those sorts of things that are more focused on me so yeah really interesting i hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it from that angle but there's definitely going to be a um the ecosystem is is very yeah. interesting to speculate about
0: right and and it'll be coming down kind of to the incentives right i mean who owns the incentives or who, who directs the incentives for your your assistant who, who does your assistant work for Mm. i think that's kind of going to be kind of a, a something people pay attention to in the future
1: yeah really interesting well um so anyway i'm just is, I'm just, uh, I'm
0: just enjoying this um bit of speculation so um uh, we don't i don't know the answers but um sounds like you're way ahead of the rest of us in thinking about assistance and um um i look forward to, i hope we should great success Thank you very
1: much. It's an extremely interesting area to be exploring. Um, And I think the right way of exploring it right now is to explore it through the prism of commercial application, because otherwise it can be extremely difficult to know which way is up. I did go through a period of relatively deep depression where I just thought that it was pointless to do anything commercially because anything could be instantly copied. And then I started playing more and more with the tools and I realized that there's enough complexity there that uh you know the sort of AGI or even the kind of
0: yeah, yeah.
1: um you know basic questions of defensibility and uh kind of value proposition are still I think as important as ever. Maybe yeah. even more important because it's less familiar territory for most buyers. Yeah. yeah. In market. I um, think
0: yeah I think AI in general will become a a commodity. Um but there'll be many, many species of them. And I think the interface is going to be the, 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 the place where, where there will, there'll be um, value added and in, in moats. It's, it's, it's having, and the interface for me, part of that is, is ownership is part of the interface. And so mm-hmm. I think, um, I, I think it's all going to come down to, 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 to having all these, you know, um, the broadest sense of interface of how you interact with it, even though behind the engine of it, it's like electricity is, yeah, it's common, but the motors and the design, the front of it, the inner, the buttons, the the design, those are all things that um, there's plenty of room for um, uniqueness, value um, proprietary and, um, and love, you know, people yeah. love it. So so I think the yeah, in the end there may only be a few engines that are generating that, but but that, that still leaves huge, huge areas of um potential branding, potential um excellence. So so yeah, I'm not worried about that.
1: I think it's a I think it's an amazing area to be playing. I think also just from a practical point of view, one of the cool things about this potential platform shift, right, from like GUIs, like graphical user interfaces, which we've spent since like Windows ninety five basically like building right, right to kind of what I heard Stephen Wolfram on something uh not so long ago called Louis, like linguistic user interfaces, right. sort of like Broadly, chat interfaces, but not necessarily. Yeah, I, I,
0: I call them conversational uh, interfaces. But go ahead.
1: Yeah. So this this shift has two consequences. Like one of which is good, and one of which is you know still unknown. What the one that's good is like. You can now move much faster because it actually did just take a long time to build graphical right. user interfaces and like testing them is a huge pain. And then anticipating users' needs is a huge pain. And you know, everyone's seeing these enterprise systems where it's like the only feature that anyone uses is like five sub-menus deep, you know, um right, right, right. thing saying beware of the tiger, hmm. right? Um, so that's one problem. And then the thing that's like still unknown whether or not it's going to be any good is like do consumers actually or do, do do users really want to use linguistic interfaces like conversational interfaces can they get their heads around them um uh or would they just be pref- would they prefer to be kind of funneled into yeah. a series of like well thought through default actions which is what graphical user interfaces do right, do right, right, quite right, successfully right.
0: Right? right right i think so, they're so, still yeah. out, that's interesting because you know we don't realize it but we, there's actually some educational Aspect of the graphical user interface, in other words, you have to kind of learn about files and menus and drop downs and dialogue boxes it's i mean it's, cl- it's not quite intuitive but it's close, but you still have to be kind of trained that to expect that you know you're looking for these little arrows and they indicate that there's more there and so there's a bunch of conventions of it I think there's a whole bunch of conventions that we need to learn for the conversational user interface like how do you, how do I ask what's available? I mean, that's one of the problems with like Siri or Alexa, which is not conversational. It's a speech recognition. Is you have mm-hmm. no idea what it can do. You don't know like what are the options that are actually available. There's no equivalent of a drop down menu. But we can invent some of those things in the kind of a conversational user interface. You can say, yeah. "What are my options?" and then they can say them, and then you can say. There may have to be some way of repeating them or, you know, tell me more about the third one. And then you can kind of, we need to invent things and educate people to develop uh, the conversational user interface, which we don't have. Yeah. I think conversation is a very fundamental human way of interacting, but we need to develop those, those gestures, those conventions, those protocols that people can expect and, and um, be trained on. So, yeah. so, I think it's not an instantaneous thing. It's it's going to require training us as well as training the AIs.
1: Well, I think it's what we'll probably see is something quite similar to the kind of you know the trend away from is it correctly pronounced like scaremorphism, skeuomorphism, right. Do you know what I mean? Like the the the. Um, quality of user interfaces as having been designed to mimic real world objects. Right. So, you know, your diary app has like tabs in it. It looks like it's got right. a ring bite right? You know, those sorts of things, which like Apple started off with some of those. Right. With the first, I know. Yeah. And a lot of them have like just they sort of evaporated for want of a better word over time in terms of the designs. So they've become more and more abstract, right? We've become more and more familiar and less in need of like the representational cues that, that help right. us right. realize what right. something's for. The way we're thinking about that from a conversational point of view is that we think the right the right sort of almost like quasi skeuomorphic place to start from is like a personality yeah. because if we say like right you have an image of someone who is in charge of um you know uh hr operations mm-hmm. in a company and like probably if you ask like 10 people to write down what do you think that person does you'd probably end up with like some reasonable degree of overlap right mm-hmm. Um, And so you've got to kind of start from the point of view of like, I'm taking a personality and trying to like almost like build in the skills that that personality Mm -hmm. has access to. Um, Because otherwise, I think, you know, yes, it's important that interfaces can list their capabilities. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to be like, right, there are 4000 capabilities one you know and you're like okay well this is (laughs) no i'm gonna this is gonna get boring really quickly you know or if you're like in an ivr menu it's like for hr capabilities press one you know um so it needs to be kind of both finite and like immediately recognizable and uh you know kind of communicate to the user to the user clearly and we think that the best place to start is, is trying to sort of like springboard off a, off a, like an existing job description, basically of like a real human being, but we, we might be right. We might be wrong. I think it's the, the, the market is extremely not unified uh, on, on how this question or whether this question will be satisfactorily addressed.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you have a good point that, that, that we will probably in the beginning model, the conversations with our AI assistants on a kind of either a, a a phone tree existing model, which doesn't really work or even a human conversation, which may not work in the end, we may have to develop a unique kind of conversation to have with AIs. In other words, you are, again, you're being trained in a certain way. There's a certain, interface there's a certain protocol there's certain conventions that we will develop that people will understand over in 10 years from now that this is sort of what you do to to work with them um, and um, that that's sort of the that's the convention it's kind of like we talk to pets and uh, dogs and cats a little differently than we talk to humans that's the conversational interface we have with a pet. Well, we'll probably have a slightly different one for dealing with the AIs. I,
1: well, I'm reminded of my father who had an extremely badly trained Labrador, um, who mainly the training involved my dad, like not wanting to talk to Labrador in the sort of like simple approved vocabulary that the, the trainers uh, preferred. But I definitely think that's possible. Our ambition is to be able to provide a human-like or sort of as close to a human level of interaction as possible. Um, You know, certainly what we found in user research is that um, if humans try to do something and the AI just like wildly misunderstands them, um, that can really limit their willingness to sort of like try again. You know, people don't have a ton of patience with this stuff. And so I do think that yeah, either you've got to really express it that the human's the one who's got to adapt, or you've got to get really, really close to like verisimilitude. Sure. I
0: think, yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's a open question about whether the current version of the GUI interface on a computer, drop-down menu, files, folders, is that a human? Is that a human way of doing it? We yes. No, it's it's sort of like well, you don't
1: normally have a hierarchical folder system in your filing cabinet, do you? You normally yeah. have like a flat one, right?
0: um Yeah, yeah. So, so, so there, there, there's it's like it's as human as we can make it. Maybe I would say, but um, um, yeah. So, and I, and I expect the AI kind of be the same thing. That it's not going to yeah. be exactly like talking to a person, but it'll be resembling that and different. Oh, entirely different than interacting with a GUI interface on a, on a laptop.
1: Well, the one thing that's really nice is that it's so much quicker to build stuff when you don't need to, um, you know, you can prototype and build in, you know, minutes rather than. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, so it's really well, cool. anyway, it sounds like fun. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I really appreciate it. And um, thank you for your, um, your tool, cool tool suggestions.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me, and thank you also for your insight in uh, in terms of conversation and especially ownership, which aren't things that I've sufficiently thought about before.
0: Well, great. Okay. This year, our Cool Tools blog will be 20 years old, which means we've been posting something new every day for 20 years. It's only possible because of the very engaged and knowledgeable readers and listeners like yourself. You've kept this place going and we are very grateful for you. With this idea of 20 years in mind, um, we decided to try an experiment this year. And I'm inviting our guests and listeners to join me on our Cool Tool Show and Tell, which is the program that you're listening to right now. So if you feel you'd make a good guest on this podcast and have four uncommon tools, that you'd like to share with us, um, please sign up on our form on the website and we'll see about inviting you. You must be comfortable taking off, talking on a video and um, you need to have some tools that you can show. Um, we record on, as you know, on Zoom. We do a YouTube version, a visual video version of it, as well as an Audible version. Fill out the form if you're interested and um, list your four four cool tools, and we'll see if there's a good fit. The applications aren't guaranteed in any way, um, and we're looking at tools that are new to us and appropriate tools and um, whether the times will work for you. So um, we're really interested in hearing from people all over the world, not just in the U.S., although the tools have to be available Online, easily available online. And um, if you are a long-time listener, you kind of know what the definition of our tools are. They're very broad. They can be anything that's handy, from something in the kitchen to something used to travel to a workshop to something professional that we may not know about. We're really interested in things that we don't know anything about. So um, this is an open invitation. We'll give it a try. If you think you make a good guest for this podcast, um, fill out the form. There'll be a link somewhere on our website. Um, And we look forward to, to chatting with you. Thank you.